When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director, the only podcast made by a creative director for creative directors, those people who want to be creative directors, people who hate creative directors, and everybody in between. Just kidding on that part. Everybody loves a creative director, right? I think. I don't know. Uh, but really, this show is for anybody who is uh, in the creative field or wants to be in the creative field or just wants to learn a little bit more about how ideas get made. So how's everybody doing? Everybody hanging in there? Um, we're coming up on probably close to a year here, probably next month in March, so uh, since the lockdown began. So pretty pretty crazy stuff. But uh, I got to say thank you for listening because this uh, podcast, among my songwriting and obviously my family and all that is keeping me uh, sane and engaged and um, and uh, super happy and excited. Another thing that I'm super happy and excited about, I don't know if you guys uh, saw the news on my LinkedIn, but I'm finally able to announce that um, I am now the uh, executive creative director for RNC PMK, which is super exciting. If you don't know uh, about that agency, we're an incredible, I call us a unicorn, really, because we're there's really nobody out there uh, like us. We can really do everything, create these amazing surround sound campaigns. We represent talent. We can do influencer social. Obviously, the creative team is awesome. We can uh, do content of all kinds, experiential. So we're really just a powerhouse of cultural energy. So if you want to check us out, go to rogersandcowanpmk.com. So I'm super excited about that. I wasn't able to say anything before because it wasn't official, uh, but now it is official. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to producing a lot of really cool campaigns. So speaking of incredible campaigns and and experiential, uh, my guest today is Trish Rexroth. Which, by the way, Trish, if you're listening, I love that last name. It just sounds like a, like a rock star uh, last name. But Trish and I worked together at Jack Morton many years ago where she was a strategist. So that is really interesting to me, and we spent a little bit of time talking about that because strategist to creative director, you know, what's that like? Because it's got to be a little bit of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a mind, you know what, you know, balancing between those two ideas of, the really deep analytical data-driven side and then the, you know, freewheeling creative side. So we talk a little, little bit about that. We talk about herding tigers, which I, I love that expression and that book. Thanks for the recommendation, Trish. I picked that up right away. And we talked about all kinds of other things, including the future of experiential and what that means and about some of the pivots that her agency has made to handle all the new challenges and all the new opportunities. So without further ado, Executive Creative Director for Onboard Experiential, Trish Rexroth. Trish, how are you? It's been it's been way too long. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, Jaime. How are you? I'm doing great. It's it's great to see you. I can't remember the last time that that uh, that we talked, but since then, you know, lot lots of lots of things have changed. Congratulations on your baby. Thank That's you. uh, awesome news. She's gorgeous. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tell me a little bit about how that's been. How's how's the transition been? Everything good? Yeah, I mean, obviously, she's my favorite ever. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm, I love being a mom. Uh, she's super fun. She's at the stage of 
She just learned how to crawl. And oh my gosh. Obviously thinks that our dresser is a rock climbing wall. Yep. So that's fun every morning. It's an, an adventure to see how far she's made it. Yeah. You know? It's funny because they, you know, as they progress through the stages, things get easier, right? Like they start walking and I'm like, I don't have to carry them, but then they start getting into things and then, oh, yeah. you know, they kind of outgrow that and then they're on to some new thing. So it's like things get easier and then they get harder. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, I was, it's I was cool at the like sitting up stage where I didn't have to like worry about her toppling, but she couldn't move independently. I was like, <laughs> we can stay here for a few years. I'm good. I'm good with that one. So, That's awesome. Um, yeah. Well, as you know, a part of our show is is having a cocktail. So hopefully you can uh, partake. Um, I, I so tell me, tell me what you're drinking. Uh, you know, the drink says a lot about a person. So what are you, what are you having? Yeah. So I'm a uh, mango white Klein. I, yes. I'm still, Oh yeah. I don't think I've recovered from new mom, uh, decreased tolerance. So <laughs> I, I keep it, keep it pretty simple these days, but that's good. No, that's yeah. good. I like it. I like those. Yeah. Those are, those are good. I'm drinking not too dissimilar, but I'm drinking a tequila soda, as you know, tequila is my, my favorite. So cheers. Thanks for cheers. joining the podcast. And Thank to you. your, your new you. momhood and all that, that good stuff. So, um, yeah, let's jump right into it. Um, you know, we were talking uh, earlier, just trying to think a little bit about, you know, topics we might cover. And you said something that was really interesting to me. And it was, you know, we're, we're all talking about sort of the short term pivots, right? That the, the word of the of the year uh, mm-hmm. that everybody has made. But we're not talking a lot about the the long term uh, effects, right? Uh, no pun intended in terms of right. the long-term effects of COVID, but in terms of what this is going to do to our industry, especially in the industry that uh, that you're in, which is experiential. So, yeah. what do, I mean, what do you think is gonna is gonna happen? Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting, and it's been something that um, you know at the very beginning of the pandemic, I was. Uh, taking inventory of what people were saying in terms of um, general tolerance uh, for people to be getting back into shared spaces, um, and there, there, there is you know that wide variety of people who are going to you know you still have those people who are like itching to get together and they're like I miss hugs and I want to touch everyone and, and be in a huge crowd and then you have the exact opposite. Um, of course, the people who are like, stay as far, I'm way not into getting close to people anymore. And I want to see, you know, microfiber being used in airplanes and innovation everywhere, which of course, will be part of what we see come to light. But, um, but yeah, I am, I am interested in the long term effects, uh, especially now, you see research coming out about um, people's anxiety levels, uh, of course, yeah. the the stress of COVID, the stress of the year weighing on people, but then also, you know, you see someone cough and that increases your anxiety level, which it wouldn't have, you know, a year, right. two years ago. So I think that there's a lot that in the small things that we're not thinking about too, um, that'll have a lot of impact on us from, Space planning, as I mentioned, material usage, uh, sanitation, even just the appearance of yeah. how things are designed, you know, using those white light colors that inherently say clean. Right. Um, That's interesting. I think it'll yeah. all manifest in a variety of, of different ways. So, yeah. What about uh, in terms of just sort of... Um you know, the standard interactions and, and sort of activations yeah. or, you know, photo ops and, and, you know, try this technology or put on this VR headset. I mean, obviously that's not going to happen or maybe it's going to happen, but it's going to, there's going to be a whole protocol, but even yeah. that stuff too is going to be crazy. Absolutely. I mean, I think we'll see um, a lot of reliance on people using their own devices uh, for navigating experiences. Um, I think, that the days of potential human BAs are behind us or really, really I think so. Mm -hmm. I think that that like 
inherent greeting from a person, we need to at least take into consideration the comfort levels that different people will have. Um, but then there is the desire, right? Like the desire to have shared experience um, that people are are wanting to have. So it's like, how can we still make people feel like there's a sense of belonging without feeling like that's also a threatening situation? Right. Um, so if you had to, yeah. No, sorry. no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was just going to say the other thing that I'm very intrigued by is how AI might play into this space too, in terms of learning people's preferences and helping to guide what paths they would be most comfortable taking. Oh, interesting. So almost in, in choose your own adventure, sort of figuring out what they, their, their tolerance level, and then they perhaps have a different experience that somebody else might, might have. And basically what we're, what you're talking about here is large events, conferences, that that type of thing, right? Where you have lots of people coming in in one one place, they got to get to different breakout rooms, or they got to do this, that, or the other. So you're, you know, maybe there is sort of a, a different path for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, for the especially for the work um, that I do, but I think even retail, right? You can see a lot of this in retail spaces um, coming coming to light too. So, or office spaces. You know, I think it's just like everywhere. If you think of even everyone's experience in different ways has that component um, of how, how can they find that communal feeling that we've all missed so much um, while also being really comfortable in the spaces that they need to or want to go into. Yeah. And I guess I, I we probably should have, uh, I probably should have had you tell us a little bit about um, about on board and you've been there now, how long? Uh, a little over five years. Oh my gosh. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. you are executive creative director there. Uh, tell us a little bit about what the, what the agency is all about. I know you mentioned that, you know, obviously you've kind of pivoted a little bit as well, but, um, you guys are, are one of the, the best shops, uh, anywhere. So tell us a little bit about sort of the, the core things that you guys do. Yeah, um, so Onboard Experiential, uh, we go by OBE. Most people just call us the initials. Um, yeah, and born and bred in that like core experiential space, um, very much in uh, starting in kind of the big consumer events, uh, then graduating more into those B2B, so um, big participatory events, whether it's runs with Nike or... Uh, the like, or, you know, B2B conferences, as you had mentioned uh, before. So a lot of that work um, we've been doing for 25 years, uh, founded in 1995. Um, but then, you know, as as COVID hit, as we took a look at that business, as events and experiences were certainly one of those places right. where we were in trouble immediately. Um, you know, we very much... Uh, as a group took on this mentality of innovate or die. Uh, yeah. And so we chose to innovate um, and I'm, I'm super humbled by the team overall. You know, every single person was willing to learn something new, to do something different, uh, to explore and to our clients credit, they were willing to take that journey with us um, right. and, and venture into these new spaces. So um, we, launched into virtual events, uh, doing a lot of content, whether it was live stream content, pre-recorded content, simulated live content, um, you know, remote production uh, became something that we were saying every single day. Uh, right. And then even in terms of generating um, like campaign strategy, social work, how can we create a collective experience through social media platforms? Um, so we've kind of, pressurized this medium agnostic now you know i think we're in a position now where we are not an experiential agency we're not an event right. agency we're just a bunch of marketers who are trying to create connection for people right. um the best way we can uh so it's been a really interesting year for that evolution yeah absolutely and you have kind of a which I think has come has become a, a very big benefit to 
uh, where you are now, but you've kind of had an interesting path, right? You started off, you and I met at Jack Morton mm -hmm. uh, when we both worked there. You started off as a strategist. Yes. Um, if I remember correctly, right? And then you, over the years, did you become a creative director at, at Jack Morton or was that when you went to, okay. So yeah. how did that, you know, how has that sort of influenced your your work? I, I can imagine that it's been a positive thing, but I can also see it where it maybe do the two sides of you fight a little bit? Because I think there is a little bit of tension, right? And in, in the best, in the probably in the best um, situations, there's, uh, it, it, it's, um, you know, it, it works, but there's always a little bit of a tension between strategy and creative. So how, how have you managed to sort of wear both of those hats, so to speak? Yeah, I think that the, um, definitely the strategy background has been beneficial. Um, I evolved into creative direction, honestly, because of that tension that you were just mentioning. I was working so closely um, with the creatives, with the creative directors, uh, almost sharing the work in, in many regards that it kind of naturally grew into how I was operating. Um, and then, you know, at times you do have to play both roles simultaneously. So that, that is tough. It's, it's tough to get the best work when you have to do both. Right. Um, so I think then over the course of time, I've made a, a priority to surround myself with people who were going to challenge me, yeah. um, people who either would be like additive and pushing further than I thought I would push myself or who would, who would be the opposite, who would say, I, I don't know about this, or I challenge the thought here um, to make sure that you still have the push and pull and the friction that generates a bigger idea or a more bold approach to, right. to the work. Right. And what would you say? So I typically ask uh, my guests, you know, how they describe the role of a creative director. So I'll put a twist on it. How would you describe the difference between mm -hmm. the two? You know, what, it, what in your mind is the biggest difference between the two roles? Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, in the purest strategy realm, it is based very much in reality and the, the nuance in between, you know, you take a set of facts and you find the interesting thing, the insight, of course, the thing that we all talk about, the interesting thing that the facts don't say, um, that connection point. And then the creative, the creative direction the, that is the part that's not based in reality, right? Like that's the right. place, place that's based in imagination. And then the beauty is when the two come together, when Correct. you use that insight as your launch pad. Yeah. So, um, so I think it's, you know, playing in the space of reality and then turning it off to some degree to open up the, the limitless possibilities that creatives explore. Yeah. So that's the part that's fascinating to me. I would love to be inside your brain when, you know, do you, do you find that it, that it's almost like a turning off of one side and a turning off of, of turning on of the other side? Like, do you, do you make a conscious effort? It's not, I mean, you probably have strategists as well, but yes. when you are kind of wearing that, that double, you know, um, do you have a conscious moment where you go turn off one side and turn on the other side or no? I think that I used to, um, I think now I've I've been playing in both sides for so often that you know I'll I'll see an insight really quickly and then launch into like where that idea can take us. Um, I think that has become a little bit more of a seamless process for me. Um, I think it's interesting to even though even in the original formation of the question, you know, the role of a creative director. I've also seen my role very much change in not necessarily being the director of the creative output, but the director of creatives, of creative people. Um, you know, my, my biggest job is to make sure that my people have the equipment to do their job. Right. Um, so that's, that's also kind of the shift of, of being able to give the feedback to the creatives, the designers, 
um, the strategists of like, here's your insight or play with this more, or this idea is good. Keep going there and being able to, um, more use both sides of the roles I've played to support the people in those positions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of added that to my definition as well as you're just kind of trying to create the most optimum, um, conditions for them, right? Whether they're environmental or whether it's them having the right tools or resources or whatever, but it's kind of like, how do I set up their little world to be the best? And and it's tough, right? As we know, us, all, all of us creative types are, you know, are, have a certain type and we, we can be, um, you know, sensitive and things like that. So it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely part of the gig, right. To kind of manage all that. And, um, yeah, yeah. But it's fun also because you just, you feed off the energy of, of everybody else's creativity. And, um, you know, I, I feel like it's something that, that I'll always love and keep, it'll keep me young. I think I feel like I'm always learning. I'm always kind of somewhat in the know of what's happening in, in the world. But, um, so if you weren't doing this, you know, mm-hmm. what would you be doing? I sometimes say, what what do you want to do when you grow up? I would be a makeup artist. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. That would, that would be it. Yeah. I, yep. Yeah. Do you do, um, so we had a, a, a client that we did these um, events, these big award shows for called uh, Nick's Professional Makeup. Really cool events. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they, their whole thing is working with influencers who do the makeup tutorials and all that. Do you, have you done any of that kind of stuff? No, I really am not qualified to be, a makeup <laughs> <artist>. <laughs> um, but I like makeup yeah. uh, and I actually don't even wear that much makeup, but I think that it's super fun and I am so intrigued. I, during my maternity leave, Glow Up was like launching on Netflix and I completely watched that in like one day. And it's like, oh my gosh, I want to make myself look as beautiful and as strange as these people can in a few hours. So so do you think that that has any relation to you being in a creative role and that idea of kind of like wanting to, well, actually, as I say it out loud, it's kind of like, twofold right you're when when you're doing that kind of makeup you're kind of transforming into another person right when you're doing strategy you're putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and then the creative aspect of transforming into into something else is yeah do you you think there's sort of a a connection there maybe oh absolutely absolutely i think there's you know there's the enhancing to be the most confident, the most beautiful version of yourself. Um, and then there's also that, that transformation. Um, and I think depending on any application, you can kind of find that in the work that we do, whether it's amplifying the best for a brand or the most meaningful moment or transforming entirely, you know, an emotional transformation. So yeah, absolutely. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Cause you're high, you may be highlighting some things or transforming other things or, accentuating certain things. That's, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. How would you describe, um, your personal creative process? Obviously just kind of what goes on in your mind. Um, tell us a little bit about that because I'm always fascinated. Everybody's got a different approach. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's, it is always still, inherently going to start with like what's interesting about what we know um what's that that white space why does it exist um and what's the like bravest thing you can do there to make an impact um i think that that you know that's actually something i've very much carried with me from our our jack morton days is the idea of bravery right of yeah um what can be that brave idea that pushes uh, right. the envelope a little bit. So, yeah, I think, I think that there's, there's a good amount too of just like in my process of talking to people, both intimately aware of the project and not, you know, my, my poor husband talks to me about such random topics because <laughs> um, I just like to bounce ideas or, 
um, you know, see what, see what we can do to stretch a little bit of the conversations that I have on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, Who's that? Um, Intr- introduce us to your, your dog. My dogs. Um, you have two, right? Gus. I have two. Okay. Yeah. Two. And uh, Gus is a five pound chihuahua who <laughs> thinks that he is a pit bull. Um, I have one of those. I have one of those too. Yeah. I have one of those too. Yeah. Yeah. He's the best guard dog for sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, he's down there. So what part of, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm reading this book that somebody recommended to me and maybe you've read it as well. It's called one great insight is worth a thousand good ideas. And it's, it's pretty mm. brilliant by Phil Dusenberry, one of my colleagues, my new colleagues, Mike Fine, um, introduced me to it and I'm reading it and it's, and it's great. And it's all about, you know, the insight is really the thing. If you have an insight, then, you know, everything will flow from that. But he also talks about research and it's interesting that you said that you sort of have conversations and things. And he talks about that as well. A lot of people like, you know, data and, and, um, you know, just lots of information, but he says that there's also a lot to be said about, you know, just your instincts. So Mm -hmm. where do you, where do you kind of, where do you lie in that spectrum? You know, are you, are you more instinctual? Are you more data driven? How would you say that, you know, that where are you on that spectrum? Yeah, I would say that I probably do lean a little bit more data driven um, in terms of, you know, gathering research and, um, and taking a look at what large swaths of uh, individuals can contribute toward uh, an opinion or a certain topic. Um, But I do think that there's a really interesting um, use case, of course, you know, like focus groups have been part of marketing and advertising for a very, very long time. And the, the humanity that a few can bring to a general statistic, I think that that's the important part, right? Um, A number can only tell you so much. Uh, It's not going to tell you how these people are really thinking or feeling within the response um, that they're given uh, or within the active activity that we're tracking or the clicks that they're they're doing in in a given platform. So I think it's um, that that component speaks to the intuition um, that is going to say this is going to resonate more on an emotional level. You know, something can be right and not be memorable. So that's the balance of like, sure, you could get someone in the exact right moment with the right message um, based on all of the information. But if it's not going to, elicit that emotional response, it may not move the needle in the way you need to. You you can only choose one data or instinct. You're going with data. Yeah, probably. Okay. That's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, what do you, you know, where do you turn to, to find inspiration? You know, are you listening? Um, I, I love to read books about it, um, about strategy, about process, about, you know, ways to come up with different ideas. I'd like to listen to a podcast, but where do you draw inspiration from? Or what's the latest thing that you've been watching or listening to, to get some inspiration? Yeah. So, um, one of the like really cool things that, um, we, we did at OBE this year, um, was, our our executives gave everyone a year long subscription to masterclass. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um that's been really cool just like digging around um you know from the Daniel Pink to you know I have to admit Bobby Brown Bobby Brown's makeup class, you know, on <laughs> our list. Um I like Daniel yeah, Pink though. Really I definitely it. like did you, did you, what did the, what did Daniel Pink do? Cause I like his book. Um, the, the, um, um, the whole new mind is the one that I read, but what did he talk about? Um, I haven't taken his course yet. It's on my hit list. I think um, it's the time. I think it's the timing one. The one about timing maybe. 
He's, uh, it's mostly, yeah, it's, um, around persuasion. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So, um, finding ways to speak to different audiences, um, speak okay. their language, you know, That's talk cool. to points, which obviously is important. Um, it's actually kind of the, the gateway, uh, reason that I even started in this industry was, I was mostly looking for a creative way to be a social psychologist. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, um, there's a lot of stuff there that I'm really excited to, to be digging into. I think our, even in the, um, I found actually recently that I've been revisiting a lot of, mm. Um, practices, insights, books, um, things to just go back to the basics almost uh, in terms of inspiration and thinking through, you know, what, what brought us to this moment. Um, Because I think that the, the general things that I've, grown into and grown on um have a lot of value to add in this moment so yeah yeah. do you do you revisit things like with a purpose so for example sometimes um you know i i get up early and i that's when i read and then if i know that i'm kind of going to have a day where i'm going to be more thinking about some kind of cool little insight or something of that nature i might read that I'll, you know, I'll pick up that book that I just mentioned, or if I feel like I'm feeling like I need a little boost of positivity or something, I might read, you know, the art of possibility or whatever. Do you find yourself kind mm-hmm. of reaching through your library for like, huh, I think I'm going to, I need a little dose of this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if it's just like, oh, well, I recently moved. So picking up things, uh, in storage boxes is, yeah difficult but even if it's like googling some like yeah. oh i know there's this like quote or this passage um then you know re-referencing those those things for sure i know we just had um a virtual offsite for our full team and our keynote speaker had referenced the alchemist and i was like oh i need to reread yeah. the alchemist like fiction yeah. opportunity but life lesson all in one like yes that i need that for my soul right now yeah so, yeah i got yeah. that one i like i like that one too so big reader what about any you know do you draw inspiration from music do you draw inspiration from you know do you listen to any podcasts um that that you like I do. I listen to podcasts, but I have to admit, um, they're mostly true crime podcasts. Okay. Okay. Pretty much an escapist when it comes to podcasts in terms of what mysteries are there out there in the universe. Um, What's the, what's the latest one on that? Cause I remember several years ago with Serial, that was the one that everybody was, Mm -hmm. was into, but what is, what is the latest big, uh, yeah. I so I listen to a podcast called True Crime Obsessed, which uh-huh. is it sounds like wrong in every way because it's like comedic true true crime, which you're yeah. just like that it's not funny, but they make it funny in a very like relatable and empathetic way. Um, but they they're uh, kind of New York Broadway esque personalities that just um, they review true crime documentaries. So. Yeah. They'll comment on things like, you're in a documentary, you should brush your hair. Like, you know, you're <laughs> in a documentary. So it's, it brings some levity to. Um, That's good. To a, to an, uh, yeah, to a crazy topic like that. Yeah. Um, so we talked earlier sort of about the long-term effects, but we were really looking at it through the lens of like what the consumer experience might be, right? Mm-hmm. In terms mm-hmm. of the, what the future holds for our type of agencies and our type of business, what do you see the challenges there in terms of, you know, how we operate and things like that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there's even just from the business standpoint, I'm so curious. Um, you know, I think that so, so many of us were so used to doing our best in a pitch room, 
right? Like yeah. the energy that you get from that, the camaraderie, the sense of even what the client's going to be like to work with. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, will that return or won't it is a big question that I have. Um, I think a lot of our main clients are, are among those who are itching to get back to right. uh, live events because, you know, they're live events people as well. But I do wonder if that will be part of our future um, or not, or if we will be kind of relegated to screen pitching, which just doesn't feel as significant or energizing. Um, I so. know. I try to mimic the in real life experience. So I have a, I have a, uh, you know, a standing desk. So I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. every time I pitch, I put that up and I try to, you know, I try to have the same energy, but it is different. You know, I think it is, is different. And I think um, it's interesting when you said you kind of get a sense of what the client's going to be like and uh, no offense clients, but it, it's tough because you're often looking as you're pitching and someone's on the phone or, you know, they don't seem as engaged. Right. So yeah you know, if this is sort of a relationship, even if you do in the business, you're like, well, I don't know what they're going to be like, because you never had that moment. Cause I agree with you that, that, that moment, not just the camaraderie among your, your team, but even the camaraderie among that forms when it works out well with the client, right. You get like, you know, they're, they're going to be great or, you know, you get a sense of who they're going to be. So clients, pay attention during zoom uh, pitches. It's hard. It's really hard to do. Um, yeah. It's, uh, what about, do yeah. you, have you discovered any, uh, I, I'm, I've been experimenting with all these like tools to try to make the, the experience better. So I just got a green screen and I'm trying to use, learn this, um, uh, this program called OBS studio to kind of jazz up, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. the experience and stuff, but are, are you doing anything different, whether it's just sort of a, you know, a physical thing or a lighting thing or anything like that to kind of make your, your pitches pop a little bit? Yeah. Um, we definitely, uh, have had some, whether it's, um, you know, for a specific pitch, especially this year, you know, we're, we're pitching a lot of things that are platform based technology based. So like, what could we prototype? How could we make the pitch a digital experience instead of just another PDF or screen share? Um, So what are those opportunities for for things to be a little bit more hands-on? Also, I think uh, for for a lot of our recent pitches, we've actually taken the time to be like, hey, how can we feel conversational? Not like super rehearsed and like, oh, I'm going to talk to you about your dog, you know, it's not in that way, but really thinking of like, okay, let's try not to be like, okay, slide assignments, but more of like, generally these few people are going to speak to this and these few people are going to speak to that so that it can be interjection and just people get to feel a little bit more like they know us and they see how, how we interact with each other um, in those pitches. So I think that that's been even just from a personal level of revealing who we are as a team and then inviting clients into that conversation um, has been a big part of, of our success. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, every, every, every little bit helps, right. To try to, to make that experience a little bit more, more connected Um, in terms of, you know, lessons that you've learned from mentors or, you know, things that you've picked up from, from people along your way, what, what might be, uh, you know, the greatest lesson or, or something that you, that you still take with you to this day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the best and sometimes, especially when I was younger, the hardest lesson was to surround myself who are smarter and more talented than I am. Mm. Um, which, you know, when I was a young strategist, young creative, I wanted to be the best in the room. And yeah. like, I wanted to have the idea. I wanted to have the insight, but, um, I think more and more it's, that's become so true in terms of, you know, finding those team members who are going to make me better, who are going to make other people better. Um, yeah. that's been the biggest thing is just like, how can I learn from the people around me instead of how can I teach? 
Right. Yeah, that's true. It 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 is an it is an interesting transition, especially um, you know, as you sort of rise up the ranks in terms of of a creative director, because you do go from being the the dream of every creative director is that you have your Don Draper moment, right? That you say something mm-hmm. that's so so brilliant, and everybody the C you know the CMO stands up and like claps for you. Never happens, by the way, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you're kind of like you're you're just waiting for that for that moment. And then as you progress, you realize that sure, you're going to, you may have some great ideas, but it becomes less about that and more about the the team, you know, having their, mm-hmm. their moment to shine, but it can be a tough transition. And I think probably a lot of, creative, a lot of creative directors get stuck in that. It's got to be my idea and I'm, I'm the guy and it's hard, right? Because we're a creative and we have, you know, um, can have an ego and stuff, but it really, where I take the, the, the pleasure and it sounds like you do too, is there's a talent and there's a skill and there's a creativity and even selecting who's going to work on a project. Right. And that's oh. the kind of stuff that you, you become a coach, right. And, or a manager. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, a few years ago I attended the 3% conference, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of geared toward female creative directors. Um, right. And I had heard um, Todd Henry speak, who uh, authored the book Herding Tigers, which okay. is literally about being a manager of creatives. Um, really? And a lot of, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, being the leader that creative people need you to be. Um, and I've taken a lot of what he spoke on into how I, you know, fulfill the role of, you know, of being that person who is the buffer for the team, you know, allowing them the space to do creative work, to protect the ideas or to support them when they might be met with resistance from other team members because they are risky. Um, And yeah, it's it's just, I've taken a lot of that, but um, you know, for, I think most of my managers have told me that they're, um, perspective was to surround themselves with people who are more talented than them. And I've certainly taken that into account over the years. Yeah. Because it, it, it makes you better. I mean, it's, it's like, I think I've shared this analogy before is that you, you know, like when you go golf with somebody who plays better than you, you're, you, you're not going to instantly play better than them, but you will probably pay a little bit better. Right. Yeah. And if you kept it up, you'd probably improve. Right. It's the same thing. It's like just being around people that, um, are good at what they do, you tend to kind of up your game as well. So I, I'd love, tell me a little bit more about that 3% conference. Cause I know, I, um, one of my creative directors, by the way, all three of my, uh, creative directors are, are women. So I am, you know, I am love leading it. the charge in that area and they're, they're brilliant. Um, but I think one of them went to it and just, you know, just talked about how crazy it was when she sat down and thought about it, how few, um, you know, female creative directors there are. What did you, what else did you take away from that conference? Yeah. Um, it was, it was great in terms of, you know, obviously just having a community of, uh, people there to support female creative directors. Um, the actual, the theme of the, the year that I had gone was diversity. So, um, it was kind of opened up to any, any creative director and kind of embracing, um, perspective at large. Um, the host of the event, I will find her name, um, did an exercise called the privilege walk. Okay. Um, which also really kind of helped me to reframe even in terms of, um, where I stand in, in, in the realm of privilege. Um, and just kind of this, everybody's standing on a line together and just little questions, take a step forward, take a step back, yes. um, yeah. which really set the stage for, you know, the, the conference overall in terms of like recognizing where people are at, but also acknowledging that you don't know where they've come from. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I just really enjoyed the, um, you know, that I think this was 2018, so a few years ago, 
um, when I went to the conference, but, you know, very much driving a conversation that has become more and more important over the years, um, at least publicly important <laughs> as people yeah. are talking about um, diversity and, and equity and the importance of, of a variety of people being recognized in leading the work. Yeah. And I would imagine you guys have a pretty diverse team. At, yes. at OB, yeah. Yes, um, we we strive for for diversity, of course, uh, and then also are constantly looking to expand that. Um, you know, we often talk about diversity of thought, even yeah. of, of inviting those perspectives that are going to be different, whether there is a inherent you know demographic difference or not. Um, also, the idea that people with different backgrounds or different thoughts should have a seat at the table. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, even something that we're continuing to look to expand the diversity of our team. Yeah. Through every choice that we're making. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, what, what I do know about your agency is, you know, uh, it, it's just it's a it's a great place. And, you know, the work the work speaks for itself. And so congratulations on mm -hmm. uh on, uh, on that gig. Um, so now we've come to that moment in the show where we have to pay off the the title. So the title of the, of the podcast is confessions of a creative director. You better make it, make it good. Is it about, you know, your days at Jack Morton? Is it about a secret at OBE? Are you going to get in trouble for revealing this? Tell us your big creative director confession. And maybe I overplayed it, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess my big creative director confession is especially when I first moved into the role of creative director, I had no idea what I was doing mm -hmm. whatsoever. Um, and really was, you know, fake it till you make it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I did not come from a design background, so I was like side googling what what did they mean when they said they yeah. wanted the specs for something, and it's like yeah. such so basic, right? And uh, and I definitely fell out of sorts, and you know, to this day, at times I still have some imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think the the side googling uh, for sure is part of my confession of just. Like okay, what yeah. can I learn literally in the moment? Because people are asking me, and I'm supposed to have the answer, and I definitely yeah. have no idea what they're even talking about. Well, I mean, I I can't tell you, you know, how many times I've heard that from from even from some guests on the show about that, you know, and and I think, you know, you and I are are similar in that sense. I'm not a designer either. I came up more as sort of a, a writer, but but what's interesting to me, and and really what it comes down to is that that critical thinking aspect of even knowing mm -hmm. like I can go and find this answer. Right. And it's just the, the idea that, you know, you can figure it out, you'll figure it out if you've got that sort of critical thinking and, and, um, and, and really I think a big part of it is just showing up and saying yes and saying, Oh, we can figure this out. We can do it. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I feel you. I, I, I still get imposter syndrome every once in a while where I've, um, you know, in the middle of the pitch and I'm like, what am I, did I, did I really say that? Like, <laughs> but oh, it's, yeah. I think it's probably pretty common because, uh, you know, especially as creative people, we tend to get inside our, our heads and stuff. So that's funny. That's really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've definitely had some of those. Did you just say that moment? But then <laughs> I remind myself, well, they didn't know what you were supposed to say. So. <laughs> so Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been great. It's been great to reconnect with you. It's been too long. We need to, uh, we need to set up another call just to kind of catch up and talk some more shop, but I'm so happy for you. I follow, I've been following your, your, your path and, you know, um, just proud of everything that you've achieved, especially that cute little nugget and uh, everything that you've, that, that you've got going on and, uh, just, you know, stay in touch and uh keep up the great work and uh let's uh, uh let's talk again soon thanks for being on the podcast thank you thanks for having me all right take care awesome. bye and there you have it folks another episode of confessions of a creative director thanks to my special guest trish rexroth from onboard experiential by the way those guys 
check them out. They uh, work with all the heavy hitters, Google, Tesla, Nike, etc. Really great shop. Uh, so yeah, thanks Trish for being on the show. I hope you enjoyed that. I got a lot of really good nuggets out of that uh, conversation. So I hope you guys did as well. For more information on the show, check us out at cdconfessions.com. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. And you know what? Pass it along to some of your creative director friends or your designer friends or anybody you think could get something out of this. I would surely appreciate it. Uh, We'd love to build up the audience uh, this year. So, yeah, do us a favor and uh, subscribe and send that out. Our theme music, Make the Logo Bigger. Produced by the unknown entity somewhere on YouTube. If you know who they are, please let me know because I still do not know who does that song and I love it and I'm going to continue to use it until they sue me or something like that. Hopefully they don't sue me, but anyway. And now I'm going to play you out with uh, song number 41 from my songwriting club. This song's called Brave New World. Check it out. Until next time, peace. Peace.